All right, well, we're going to continue in our series this week called House Rules, and uh, we're talking through the first, the first uh, Timothy, we're talking through the entire book, and uh, just to get you up to speed, what we're doing in this series is we were, we're talking about how First Timothy lays out for us as a church gathered some house rules for what it looks like to live within the family of God. It's kind of like, what are the, you know, if you're in a corporation, what are the core values that drive you? What are the things that move you as a corporation? Well, what are the things that move us? as a family of God, as we gather together. Now, so far in chapter one, we learned four things. We love the church, that's what we wanna do. We love each other, we love the church. We cling to the truth. We revel in grace and we fight for faith. And I can just say that if you have not heard all of these, Take that announcement that Troy brought about the podcast. Listen to it wherever you're going. Listen, I listen to a lot of podcasts every week. It's a focus of learning and connecting. And I would just encourage you to listen to the message because this whole series builds on one another. It builds from one to one to one to one. And uh, if you miss it, you're gonna miss on something very important. So I wanna encourage you to take some time. You don't have to do it here. You can do it out there and it'll all be good. So this morning, we are going to talk about number five, the fifth house rules, and it's very simple. It's the, it's the phrase, we pray. Da-da, of course, we pray, right? Now, I wanna start by reading this passage out of 1 Timothy chapter two, and we're gonna start in verse one and read the first seven verses. So if you have a Bible, paper, or electronic, follow along, or you can follow along with the verses behind me. Paul writes to Timothy, And he says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for all of those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, Paul says, I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I am telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of their Gentiles. So let's start off with a very foundational question. What do you pray about? What do you pray about? I mean, probably one of the first things we would think about, well, I pray for my needs. I pray for the things I need. I pray that my paycheck is larger than I usually is. Or I pray for the needs of my family, their relational prayers. I want this healing in the relationships that are going on in my family. Or, hey, I really want to connect with my neighbor, so I pray for my neighbor. I pray that that opportunity happens. Or I just want to get to know people. Or... Whatever you pray for, there are a lot of many things and there are many people that you pray for. Maybe you pray for the ultimate people. Yes. Well, one person does. <laughs> we have that app that's out there, the, the text that comes to you. We're praying as a church. This is an example of this for the ultimate people. There are, as I said, there are many things that we pray for. And the reality is that prayer most likely is not a new subject for you. Would you agree? Okay. We have some level of understanding about prayer. In fact, my guess is that probably each of you have prayed sometime throughout this week some type of prayer, and that is good. In fact, you know that people who don't even know Jesus, they pray. 
They just pray to God. They go, I, God, I need your help. You know, have you ever heard that? So prayer is, is a really well-known subject. But this morning, we're gonna, as we walk through these seven verses, we're going to look at prayer a little differently than what we normally would on an individual basis. Paul wants to talk to us about how the church gathered praise. That's the significant difference. How does the church pray when we're gathered? And my hope is that this morning through our time together that we're going to gain a deeper understanding and grow in our understanding of this as a church and how we pray when we're together. Now, as we're moving from chapter one, which was a lot of theology and a lot of truth there, to chapter two, we're moving in a more practical way of expressing what Paul calls house rules. In fact, he's gonna start on this series of worship and order in the church. So the first thing he talks about is prayer. He sees prayer as this routine, automatic thing that the church ought to be aware of, ought to be participating in. In fact, he encourages Timothy in the church to make prayer number one, in his priority. And as we will see, the reason for this importance is that it connects us to the heartbeat of God when we're praying. Because you see, Paul sees prayer as essential. He sees prayer as essential in creating this environment in which the gospel can flourish, the gospel being the good news of Jesus Christ. (laughs) The prayer that Paul is teaching Timothy to bring and worship is to create this atmosphere where we're learning about the gospel, we're responding to the gospel, we're reminded of the gospel. I'm gonna be doing some of that today in a few moments. This prayer, though, is also to be consistent with what matters to God. So this morning, I just want to focus on a very simple outline that has two characteristics for us to look at and how we pray. I want to look into this. And the first one is just this. Prayer is to be inclusive of all people. All people means all people. No one, is, no one is excluded. Everyone is included. For a Christian culture to be most effective, prayer is to be inclusive of all people. So let's take a look at what Paul, how he does this and, and what he talks about how this inclusiveness works. So you can see the first couple of verses up on the screen. Because right from the start, Paul's urges. He says, I urge Timothy and the whole church to pray. And this is something that is for all of us, every Christian. Urgency is not something, well, I just heard this thing and I'll set it over here for a month from now. It's like a side, it's not a side thing. And when something is urgent, it captures our attention. It captures our focus. And sometimes we make it an immediate step of action. And if something is urgent, we have to do it now. We don't wait. And this is what Paul wants us to do when we gather as a church. He wants us to understand we need to pray. He says, I urge then, first of all, this is where he talks about the importance, the priority of prayer. About ready to sneeze, excuse me. (laughs) He says it's to be number one. Thank you. He says it's gonna be number one. It's gonna be a top priority for him. And so next, Paul gives some instructions. He lays out four words. Some may be familiar, some may not be too familiar to you. Let's walk through those four words about how to pray. He says, first of all, petitions. Petitions would be the same as requests. I mean, we, we all make requests for our needs or desires. At least I do. Do you do? Yes. 
Do you make requests? Yeah, we should. We, we do. This is one we're probably the best at, you know? We love to ask God for things, and, and we need it, and, and, we, and we think it's, it, it comes, we think of that first. It normally is the first thing that hits our mind. So the next thing he talks about is the word prayer. You go, Paul, you're being redundant. We're talking about prayer, and you're talking about prayers? Well, the word here for prayers is a little, is not just what we're talking about so far. It adds this sacredness of worship. So when we gather together, we can worship God together in prayer. We just don't ask for things. We take time to honor and to worship and devote ourselves to God in prayer. Some of the most beautiful prayers in the scriptures have to do with listing the qualities, the characteristics, the attributes of God. So we lift those up as we acknowledge God for who he is. That's what Paul's talking about here. Next is intercession. This is where we typically think of praying for others. Prayers become intercession when we make a request to God on behalf of or for someone else. And then lastly, thanksgiving. We give thanks in prayer as we're reminded of what God has done. And as, and as I just take a moment and think about this thing of thankfulness, we've got to overcome the idea, I think, in prayer that if we prayed it, thus saith me, and it's going to happen. We've got to get rid of this entitlement thing that says, well, I prayed for it. God better answer it the way I want to answer it. No, we lay it out before God and then we trust his sovereignty and his control. It's the idea of gratitude in the midst of going before a great God who can answer our prayers. I was thinking about gratitude. I remember the story in Luke chapter 17. There were 10 lepers and they had been praying and asking for healing and they hadn't been prayed and, and, and they come to Jesus and he cleanses all of them, all 10 of them, but only one of them comes back and gives him praise and thanksgiving for being healed. He even praises God in a loud voice. I think I would too if I was a leper and I got healed, wouldn't you? We would shout out, hey God, thank you. He threw himself even at Jesus' feet, scripture tells us. But then Jesus' words were these. Were not 10 people cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to, to return, give and praise to me except this foreigner? Now, this guy that came back was a Samaritan and to Jewish people, he was a foreigner, but he came back. And I'm sure all those guys that were there, whoever it was that got healed, you know, they probably asked God more than once, I need this, I need this, I need, I need to be healed. And, and now that they get their healing, nine of them just, okay, I'm on with my life. Thank you, I'm gone. I don't even have to go back and talk to God. I wonder how many times we forget to thank God for the things that he has given us. Sometimes I just blow by things. You know, I think, okay, well, thank you, move on. But do we pause and really be grateful and thankful for the fact that our holy God has answered our prayer and has provided for us? Let's be people who are aware always of God's answer in an attitude of gratefulness and thankfulness before God when we pray. So there's these four words. So we're supposed to make these four things as part of our prayers. It's all about our needs, worship of God, other people, and thanksgiving or gratitude. So after that, Paul goes on, and, and the next thing he talks about is he tells us who we should pray for. So we know how we should be praying. We know that we should be praying. Now who are we going to pray for? <laughs> plainly quite, it's plainly stated out here for all people. This is not a mystery. It's not some wise thing I came up with. It was right there in the scriptures. You know, Prayer is inclusive of everyone. This prayer of God's people is to include everyone. And just to make sure that we don't forget a key part of who everyone is, Paul gives us some help when he says we are to pray for kings and those in authority over us. Now, 
We're in the United States, right? We don't have kings today. But I believe we can translate this to pray for all sorts of people in government, all those that are in authority. It could be policemen, it could be firemen, it could be all anyone that has authority over us. People who make laws in reality have authority over us, so we ought to be praying for them. And some may think, you know, well, Paul, you just don't know how bad some of our politicians can get. I don't know. I'm supposed to pray for these people? Really, I'm supposed to pray for these people? Let me just remind you, do you know who, the, who is in charge uh, of Rome when, when Paul wrote this? Yeah, you got it. A guy named Nero, he's a bad dude. He was a bad guy. He, he killed Christians. In fact, he used Christians as a scapegoat. When, when Rome caught fire and almost burned to the ground, the Christians were not the ones at fault, but he used his power to blame them and ended up murdering publicly many Christians, fed them to the lions. Or had them burned. Not just a simple killing, but a painful, really public. But Paul says believers, even in this environment, are to pray. They're taught to support the government and not rebel against it. Can you imagine? I tried to put myself in that position and I go, what if I was roaming around and they knew I was a Christian and they grabbed me for some reason and I'm out in this big arena? I mean, can I imagine how would I pray for this guy? Kill him. I don't want him in power. You know, but that's not what Paul is saying here. We can't really imagine what that must have been like because it's so far from our experience. I think it's pretty amazing that, that, that in the environment he would say, pray for these people in healthy, positive, good ways. Well, today we're to pray for our leaders, not the kings which we don't have, but our leaders. Now, there's a pastor named David Platt He's a pastor of McLean Bible Church in Washington, D.C., and he was faced recently, actually in the month of June, with one of those unique, difficult, unplanned situations where he applied the words of this passage of Scripture in real time. You see, on Sunday, June 2nd, David found himself in, in, in the last service out of many that he had for that morning. He was wrapping it up. His message was done. And he was standing off to the side because they gave a little pause between when the message was done in that church and when they took communion. So they were kind of reflecting a bit, the whole church, and he was too. And, and, and he was called backstage. He caught, Some guy was saying, come back, come back, come back. And he was told that the president of the United States was on his way and wanted him to pray for him in the church service. Totally unplanned. Surprise visit. But if you're in Washington, D.C., I mean, that would probably be more likely than in Upland, California, right? Right? He said he immediately thought about his desire to make sure that the integrity of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, did not get changed, to guard it. He didn't want this worship service to turn into a national political agenda or national political activity. But he said once he heard the request backstage, this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2 was the first thing that came to his mind. But he was also aware of the volatility of this situation. Being a pastor in Washington, D.C. made him acutely aware that some in his church would be against him praying for any president on the stage of that church. And especially right before communion? Really, Dave? But the president was set to arrive at any moment. What should he do? Should he pray for the president publicly just before communion? I mean, he should, should he prepare his congregation for what was about to happen? You see, for years, David Platt has preached against the American focus of self-advancement, self-sufficiency, and materialism. This has been a theme of his. In fact, he even wrote a book called Radical, 
where he says we need to take our faith back from the American dream. Pretty radical. And now he's this relatively new pastor at this church in suburban Washington. He's got a congregation full of people who on Monday morning are going to go to Capitol Hill and going to go to work. And just a year ago, he even preached this message. Here's a quote. We worship under the banner, not of a country, but under the banner of a king. And that king's name is definitely not Donald Trump, Barack Obama, George Bush, Bill Clinton. And for that matter, it was never George Washington either. Can you imagine hearing that? Our king's name is now and will always be, he said, Jesus Christ. So what should he do? In that moment, unexpected, what should he do? He decided to take this opportunity to pray for the president. Let's watch the video of how that went down. Many of you may have seen that there was a call to to particularly on this Sunday pray for our president. We don't want to do that just on this Sunday. We want to do that continually, day in and day out. So I want to ask us to bow our heads together now and pray for our president. Oh God, we praise you as the one universal king over all. You are our leader and our Lord, and we worship you. There is one God and one Savior, and it's you, and your name is Jesus, and we exalt you, Jesus. And we know we need your mercy. We need your grace. We need your help. We need your wisdom in our country. And so we stand right now on behalf of our president, and we pray for your grace and your mercy and your wisdom upon him. God, we pray that he would know how much you love him, so much that you sent Jesus to die for his sins, our sins. So we pray that he would look to you, that he would trust in you, that he would lean on you, that he would govern and make decisions in ways that are good for justice and good for righteousness and good for equity, every good path. Lord, we pray, we pray that you would give him all the grace he needs to govern in ways that we just saw in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that lead to peaceful and quiet lives godly and dignified in every way. God, we pray for your blessing in that way upon his family. We pray that you would give them strength. We pray that you would give them clarity, wisdom, wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Please, oh God, give him wisdom and help him to lead our country alongside other leaders. We pray today for leaders in Congress, we pray for leaders in courts. We pray for leaders at national and state levels. Please, oh God, help us to look to you. Help us to trust in your word. Help us to seek your wisdom and live in ways that reflect your love and your grace, your righteousness and your justice. We pray for your blessings on our president toward that end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So why was that good? Well, let me tell you why I think that was good. Here was an example of an extraordinary situation, totally unplanned, catching this pastor off guard with all sorts of implications. You know what they would be. All sorts of implications. And he chose to live out the commands of scripture. And I believe he did it in a way that will not soon be forgotten. And in his prayer, if you really listen, he didn't pray to endorse the president or his policies or who he is. He prayed that our president would be granted grace and mercy and wisdom. And that the president would know God's love, the gospel. And that other leaders in government would also be guided by God's wisdom. He even used the words from our passage about one God and one mediator. And you may wonder, well, that's good for him. What does this have to do with me? All of us are called to pray for the president. And this was a great example of how to do that. Of how to do that. Whether we like him or not, it's a great example of how to pray for someone. And we're also called to pray for those in authority, which Pastor Platt did as well. See, we are to be inclusive of all people in our prayers. But Paul's not quite done with this yet because we see that there's a goal for praying for everyone and praying for our leaders. It's to bring what? A quiet and peaceful life and that we can live a life in all godliness and holiness. You see, prayer provides Christian with the best armor for defense and weapon for offense. You remember the situation in the Ephesian church? They were facing under Nero. It was a life and death situation. Praying for the salvation of rulers would definitely have helped restored some level of peace and quietness if God answered their prayers. Let me tell you, it's no different today here in California. Why? Because we're not going to be fed to the lions. We're not going to be burned at the stake. But things are changing rapidly in our California government. There are attempts, some pretty radical if you pay attention, to take away the freedoms we currently enjoy to have work, to, have, to worship God and to gather freely without encumbrance. Every day decisions are made in the halls of government all around this nation that shape the policies and the future and even the morality, and especially of this state. And constant prayer is a mighty weapon. I want you to remember that. Constant prayer is a mighty weapon against Satan's power so that we can live quiet and peaceful lives, something that we probably all long for, but if we're tuned in to what's going on, we go, I don't feel quiet and peaceful in my spirit because of what's happening. See, we're to live in all godliness, it says, and holiness. In other words, we are to be examples of the character of God, the God we serve. And our prayer is that we freely live out our lives of godliness and holiness. We pray that we may live the kind of life that God wishes us to live of holiness and godliness. And when people speak of you or they speak of me, may we be known as people of, who are authentic in our Christian Experience who are in a Christ-like character. <laughs> People who are making a difference for Jesus. How? Here's our mission. By passionately pursuing this life that we have in Jesus. Listen, prayer is essential in creating an environment in which the gospel, the message of Jesus, can flourish. And this prayer 
is to be inclusive of all people. Now, here we at LBF, we've intentionally added every month a time where we pause during the service, we stand up, we talk to people closest to us, uh, we get to form little small groups, and we pray together. I think that's an example of, of what Paul is talking about here. This type of prayer goes beyond our individual prayers and becomes a prayer where we're gathered together. Hey, every one of you who are in a life group, you have the opportunity to pray not just for one another's needs, but you are a representative of the body gathered and you can pray for all these things Paul is talking to us about. I want you to know our elder board gathers once a month and all we do is pray. No church business, just pray. And we pray for all sorts of things. Lastly, this year, we participated with the National Day of Prayer. We gathered here. We had about 100 people. They gathered, and we prayed for all sorts of things, including our leaders and for the kind of life that we would like to have based upon Christ. See, these are examples of the, of the way we live out this passage. So the first thing we learn is that prayer is to be inclusive of all people. Next, Paul connects this prayer that we're talking about, all that we've talked about so far, <laughs> to a compassionate and gracious character of God. Here he tells us in the next set of verses that prayer is to be focused on God's mission. Prayer is to be focused on God's mission. Look at verse three. It says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The first thing we see is he refers back to what we just talked about, that the prayer that is for all people is a prayer that is good and pleases God. And it may be hard to pray for people, for some people in your life, right? Yeah, people, use, I don't want to pay for them. Maybe people you don't want to pray for, and it may be difficult to pray for some people, especially some governmental people. But these prayers, Paul says, are good, and they please God, who is our Savior. Why? Because prayer is tied to an advancement of the gospel. All this praying is not only for just pleasing God or benefiting ourselves, it has eternal consequences, eternal purposes. God wants all people to be saved. God wants us to pray for President Trump because he wants all people saved. So we pray for the good news of Jesus to go forth. In God's power, we preach the gospel here on this pulpit over and over again and pray that others will receive it. We are being called to pray for here is not our temporary desires or our wants. What we are being called to do is to connect with God's mission and his focus and his purpose, which is all eternal priorities around people. And because we never know what tomorrow holds, the very first word out of Paul's writing was urge, urgency. There is an urgency behind this. God doesn't take pleasure when people die without salvation. Which is why Peter wrote these words that says about Jesus' second coming. He says, the Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. No, instead he is patient with us, with you and me, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, when we're saying God wants all people saved, let's just make sure we connect what we're talking about here. Some people teach God loves everyone. True, we should all be teaching that. And God wants all to be saved. True, that's what we want to do. So there, some people can come to the conclusion, well, then all are going to heaven. Not true. <laughs> that's called universalism. 
Because universalism is a belief that everyone will be saved regardless of their response to Jesus, and that's just not true. Listen, there will be people who are going to resist God and refuse to accept this gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. God wants everyone on the planet who has lived, lives now, or will live in the future to be saved. But that does not mean that everyone who has lived or is living now or who will live is going to accept the gift of God's salvation. God's love is for all humanity and it is inclusive. That's when he says the gospel message here called the knowledge of truth has this universal scope. It's not just directed to one people. It's directed to all of us, all people around the world, all nations is who he's wanting to be saved. No one is outside of God's mercy or beyond the reach of God's offer of salvation. But not all people will accept that offer. We've got to realize that. That is why we pray. For example, when when we're troubled with, with someone that we know who is wrestling with God and hasn't become a believer, maybe they know the information about Jesus, but they haven't done anything with it, what do we do? We pray. This is a prayer that is totally in sync with God's desire for humanity so we can know that we're praying exactly God's will. This is what praying focused on God's mission looks like. And then Paul continues to teach us a little bit about the gospel as he starts in verse five. He has a description. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ, pardon me, Jesus Christ. Christianity says there is only one God. At that time, this was in direct opposition to the Greek and Roman pantheons and the polytheism that was rampant throughout those cultures. Today, it has taken a new form. It's called pluralism. If you haven't heard about it, pluralism is the belief that no one religion is right, but all have value. Pluralism claims that all religions are equally true. They would say one religion is as good as any other. They would say all of these lead to the same God. You worship God, I worship Buddha. We may take different paths, but we're gonna get to God, the same God. But let me make it very clear, that's not what the Bible teaches. There's a verse that we all probably have heard at some point in time in our life. Jesus is speaking, he says, I am the way, I am the truth. And no, I am the life. And no one comes to the Father, God, except through me. Next, Paul says there's one mediator. We just talked about him. Between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ. There is a bridge between God and human beings. And this bridge is named Jesus Christ. And because of him, we have hope. God has reached out to all human beings. Jesus is that bridge that provides a way for all of humanity to reach God, Jesus, which Paul says in verse six, who gave himself a ransom for who? All people. What is that knowledge of the truth? First of all, there's one God. You know what that, that's good news because if there was no God, we'd be making up all sorts of things that aren't gonna work. There's one God mediator. There's one way connected to God, and that's the man, Jesus Christ. And and you know why it's such good news? He gave himself as a ransom. That's how much God loves us. He gave himself as a ransom. That's how much he loves 
us. He sent his son to ransom us, he, to buy us back from this power that sin has control of us. That's how desperately he wanted us back. See, people by nature are sinners. A holy God cannot embrace sinners any more than darkness and light can exist in the same place. For hundreds of years, the Jews sacrificed animals to God to maintain this right relationship with him. And those sacrifices reminded them that sin has these consequences and that only through spilled blood would be enough to cover people's sins. But that wasn't God's complete plan because you see, he says, for at the proper time, he sent his son to become the final sacrifice, to pay for the sins of all people, past, present, future, with his own blood. Because Jesus paid the price the ransom. He mediates between us and God, allowing us to have access to God, the Father, allowing us to experience God's forgiveness and his love. There's only one God and there's only one mediator and that mediator gave his life as a ransom. He paid the price. There is nothing more to do except to believe. The gospel invitation to believe is centered on Jesus Christ and no one else. Believing in something else or someone else other than Jesus may be faith, but it is not the Christian faith and it will not get you into eternity and it will not save you. Which reminds us, all of this is once again, that prayer is that essential component in creating this environment where all of this can flourish. And that our prayer, this kind of prayer has got to be focused on God's mission. And I've just explained what God's mission is, that they would all be saved. A few years ago, one would say that Lynn Court Wesleyan Church in Syracuse, New York, was a typical church. Although it had been in decline for a number of years and had dropped actually to little less than 80 people in attendance Now, these people were good people and they had a good pastor, but their city was one of those cities that is very challenging to get the gospel out to people. But things began to change slowly when God put a renewed passion for the loss of his hometown in the heart of Pastor Wayne. It had already dropped, though, by that point to less than 40 people, and they decided we're going to drop all our programs and we're just going to gather and we're going to pray. And we're going to pray being inclusive of all people and focused on God's mission. And it took time, years, it took time. But God began to move as he led them in prayer. He said, you, let's go out into this city and let's connect and serve this city in all sorts of meaningful ways. God used these connections, you see, to serve and touch the community, the people in that city. And people started coming to this church and then they started receiving Jesus. And today, after many years, that church is no longer declining, but growing. Not only in numbers of attendance, but in people coming to faith. See, they focused their prayer on God's mission, which was that all are to be saved. God wants all people saved. He has chosen you. He has chosen me to help share the love of truth of Jesus. And I believe God wants to do the same kind of thing through us at LBF. This kind of move of God, we can experience if we will continue to commit ourselves as a church to have prayers focused on God's mission. Many of you know we have had a new emphasis of going out into our city. Do you know there are 39 churches in the city of Upland? If every church had 1,000 people that attended, that would still leave about 50,000, 60,000 people in the population of Upland that do not have any church affiliation. 
I don't even know if a thousand people attend every church, but that's a number. The, the opportunities are great and, and, and endless. And as we go out as a church in various times and in various ways, and we connect with people by serving their physical needs, we have an opportunity as we pray and get focused on God's mission to make a difference in our community as people come to faith in Christ. It's not about going out there and serving and saying, man, I sure feel good today, I, I served. Yeah, we're gonna feel good. But it is about helping people see the love of Jesus with us and we have something to tell them about who Jesus is in our lives. That is my hope and that is my prayer as we continue to serve and work together. Prayer is to be inclusive of all people. And secondly, this prayer is good and pleases God, is focused on God's mission. Now, as I get to verse seven, I just want to wrap this all up because Paul wraps it up in verse seven, what he said so far. He's explaining his purpose He calls himself a herald. A herald is someone who is an announcer, a proclaimer, a messenger. And you see, when we become inclusive in our prayers and we focus on God's mission, we join Paul in having those opportunities. God will lead us into those opportunities to be a herald to someone, to be a messenger to someone. And we have that opportunity over and over again, all around us, probably in your life, every day, every week, if we will open our eyes and see, we have an opportunity to demonstrate the love of God that he has for all people. And when we as a gathered community, we have this opportunity to tell that God, we want to be these kinds of people. We want to be focused on your mission. And Paul says, this is of supreme importance. So when we pray in our Sunday services or in our life groups, or in a variety of other settings, which many of you who were here last week heard about from the testimony of people, or as we come together each Sunday, we respond to this message, let's be inclusive, and let's be focused on God's mission. So I I talked about it at the beginning of the message, but I wanna move into a time of responding. And I have two calls of action for two groups of people. The first one is clearly for those of you who may be here and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, this morning would be a great time to do so. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Today would be a great day. Much of the message this morning, as I've shared, has been a gospel presentation. You have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. And the invitation is that if you would not respond to that gospel, that you would come forth and allow us, elders, pastors, and and lay leaders, to pray for you and to help you understand exactly what a, a decision to receive Jesus is all about. Secondly, for our church family, I want us to practice what Paul is talking about. It says, we pray And so we're going to continue as a church to pray for one another. As I said, we have people that will be here to come forward and receive the prayer. For whatever is on your heart this morning, listen, I always don't know what, I never know what God is saying in your hearts and minds that as each of us get up here and talk or as we worship together, but I know he does and I know he's speaking to your heart even right now and I don't want to lose that moment in time that allows you to come and connect with someone and feel supported and prayed for according to what Paul has shared with us today. Don't let it pass by. Remember, we're doing this within the service. We still have about six minutes left before the service is officially over. So we've included it in the service for you and me because we want to connect as a church family in prayer together. So let me pray pray together. Would you stand with me?
Father, we want to not lose this moment of time. We want to take the words of Paul and we want to trust that as we've been touched by his words and how you've spoken through me, that you would change our hearts and that you would allow us to come forward and to pray. God, we may be praying for all sorts of things today like we did first service, but God, our desire is to see you work among us, to move among us, to change our hearts and to change our behavior so that we can represent you in a wonderful way that helps people come to faith in you, Jesus. For those who are here today, God, who are wrestling with that decision, I pray that you would just speak loudly to their hearts and minds that this is a safe place, this is a trusting place, this is a good place to come forward. So God, do your work as we allow now for a time of response. And it's in your name we pray, amen.